Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is a, a Rogers Sports Night podcast, so it's kind of a fly-by-night operation. Uh, it's a small little company that doesn't have the uh, technological firepower to avoid a situation like this. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Craig Hustens. Craig, what's going on, man? Oh, everything, Dmitry. You know that. Absolutely. It's the opposite. Absolutely nothing. What? <laughs> we're just, you know, we're just, uh, it was funny. We were, I did a radio hit today. They called the athletic, the Illuminati because like, we're, I don't, I don't know. Cause we're like sneaking behind the scenes and then hiring everybody. So yeah. that's, that's what I'm currently in the process of doing. Like seeing what person we can like disappear from the regular job and then pop up with us. Yeah. But the good thing is cycle. unlike a few years ago where it was like the summer of analytics where people were sort of disappearing, but then never coming back because they were being hired by NHL teams. At least you guys are keeping these people, you know, available to the public and, and, and putting their work on a, on a nice platform. So it's uh it's not all bad. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good, you know, I never thought of it. Just like, Let's have them just disappear. Like that would be. Uh, <laughs> we, we own them now. They're gone know forever. Yeah, yeah, not great. Um, so today we are going to do uh, a mailbag show. And, um, awesome. you know, I did one of these uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was the first time I'd really done it on the show, and the feedback was positive. So I, you know, I asked my Twitter followers if they had any questions, and they came through in a big way. And, and so uh, we're just going to hammer through as many of these as we can and uh, see where see where that takes us. And, you know, this is a, a really good... Uh, a really good starting point is Kevin Schultz here asks us, should the Islanders trade John, John Tavares? Um, oh, here we go. Yeah. Wow. This is uh, not you, even going to warm up or anything. No, I didn't want to slow play. We're, uh, we're getting right into it. This is probably one of the most important questions uh, that we're going to deal with this season. And I'll open the floor up to you here. What do you, what do, what do you think is the answer to that? Oof. To me, I think you hit a point where, oh, this is such a hard one. Gosh, Dimitri. I think you hit a point if you're the Islanders, and you're not 100% sure you're going to get him signed. I, I, I do. Gosh, you have to at least see what's out there. Um, uh, because to me, what a disaster if this gets to, even if it gets to the trade deadline and he's unsigned. Um, and and now you have to like entertain John Tavares' rental uh, trade offers, which, as we saw with Kevin Shattenkirk, the price seems to go down. I mean, 
you know, we, there was a speculation it was Jonathan Juan for Shattenkirk when he had a little bit of term left on his contract. Mm-hmm. And then we saw what he actually got by the end there. Um, when teams, you know, when teams aren't getting a full season out of guys, they're not as willing to, to be as generous there. So if, you know, I, I think you have to at least see what the market w- would bear on a John Tavares trade. Um, and the second you're not sure you're going to get him signed or you start to doubt that, I do think you have to look really hard. What about you? I mean, it's it's much easier for us to sit back here and say, you know, oh, you have to from a value perspective. But I'm, you know, I'm not uh, necessarily like invested in the situation emotionally or having to, you know, yeah. deal with uh, like if even if even when I'm working for the team or if I'm a fan of the team, deal with it on a daily basis and the consequences of what trading away your franchise player for, you know, what'll surely be like 50 cents on the dollar or whatever and like you're not gonna recoup uh john Tavares level of value back when whatever trade you you do especially you're if it's not, an expiring right. deal right so it's like uh, i guess it would depend on you know if you're in the situation and you're working for the team and you and you have you get the feeling that he's leaning towards leaving in free agency and you're out of it and it's quite possible like i, I like this islanders team but at the same time you look at that division and they're going to be in tough to make any type of serious noise or even make the playoffs really and it's like if they're out of it come the midway point of the season i think you really have to start at least considering it or you know gauging what potential offers would be so yeah yeah I want, so i want to make a couple of points here i think there's been a false comparison made by um islanders fans between Tavares and steven stamkos mm. because um they, you know that, that they'll say anytime we bring up Tavares on twitter or whatever the conversation is like you know look stamkos went all the way to the bitter end and then ended up re-signing the difference there, I don't like. It was clear that Steven Stamkos wanted to stay in Tampa. That to me was Steve Eiserman finding a number that worked for everybody, and um, that to me is a different situation than what's happening now with Tavares and the Islanders. To me, it's now you have John Tavares saying, um, "Is this a situation I want to I want to give the prime of my career to?" Or the, you know, the, these are the best years. I he has not achieved. I mean, he, I think. He's, a, he's of that same cloth as the Kopitar, Taves, Crosby, you know, on some level. These are leaders that want to win a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he's, he's unsatisfied until he gets there. And so, you know, to me, he's trying to be convinced that the Islanders are where, where this can happen. That's completely different than Steven Stamkos to me. Like, Steven Stamkos wanted to stay in Tampa, was confident he could win a Stanley Cup in Tampa. It was about making the numbers work. And this, you know, the Islanders are going to, you know, money won't be an issue here. Yeah. Well, so the question I want, like, so, I, like, What's going to change between now and December with the Islanders? That's that's going to make John Tavares say, "Oh yeah, okay, now I totally want to stay." Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for uh, you know continuity and players staying with the franchises that drafted them and building up uh, you know l- l- legacies there and retiring. But it's, I mean, the Islanders have played in four playoff series in John Tavares' career so far, and he's been in the league yeah. for what, like seven seasons or something like that. Like it's there with Stamkos. Um, you know they they just made the cup final and and they mm-hmm. they they'd been building something and they were generally considered to be one of the kind of up and coming franchises in the league with this Islanders team it feels like last year was just a really big step back for them especially after they finally won a playoff series the year before and it felt like they were moving in the right direction and they were kind of an exciting team to watch and all of a sudden 
this past year just was 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 a kind of a gut punch for them. And I, if you're if you're Tavares, like I wouldn't blame him for looking around at this, this point of his career. I mean, he's gotten turned 27 at the start of the season. Like these are his prime seasons, and this is probably going to be like the last big contract he signs. And I, it, it, it's tough for both parties. It seems like uh, we could be at a bit of a crossroads here. Yeah, and so even if they're like, you know what, we've got this arena thing figured out, and who, like they decide that tomorrow, that's even a few years off, right? Mm. If there's a solution on that front, if that's part of the equation. So now we're getting into, you know, John Tavares being 29, 30, 31, uh, when maybe that everything's aligned the way it is. And then you talk about a step back for the Islanders. They did that, and then they trade Havanick now. So they've got draft picks for 2018. They're set up really nice, but what does that do, John Tavares, who's trying to win a Stanley Cup here before he's 30? Like, that does him no good. So then that brings me to my working theory that maybe, you know, I wrote about um, a Ryan Johansson offer sheet possibility this week for the Athletic, Mm -hmm. you know, and I mentioned the Islanders in there because I'm like, look, this is a team that's trying to sell their captain that they can do it here. They also happen to have two firsts and two seconds in the coming draft. I mean, they're they're set up to do it. Um, if they, I guess, if they really wanted to, if that was something that they they thought made sense in terms of bringing in another high end forward and and making a move that gets their captain's attention. But as it stands right now, I, I'm not sure what what's going to change that would convince John Tavares, other than some undying loyalty to the team that drafted him to to stay. Yeah, well, I think. There's too much on the line here to to uh, have that be the sole reason for why you're gonna just spend the rest of your your career with them. I mean, who's is Andrew Ladd the only sort of big name marquee free agent that signed with the with the Islanders during Tavares's run there? Well, I mean, it, obviously the Everly trade was was good, and they yeah. they addressed the the D with and bringing in Boychuk and Letty a couple of years ago. I mean, they've done they've made nice nice moves, but like, yeah, I mean. Uh, I don't know, nothing that if I'm John Tavares, I'm sitting here going, okay, that's, I, I think we're a better team now. I, if anything, I think the Islanders are worse now than they were a couple years ago. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it's also one of those things where um, he also hasn't really had anything resembling uh, consistency around him, whether it's, I mean, especially with players, right? It seems like they've been shuffling those wing spots for him, just continuously trying to find the right combination. And um, I, I, I wonder if they look back now and regret letting Kyle Okpozo go because it seemed like that was a combination that was really working. And obviously replacing Okpozo with Ladd was uh, was a misstep. Um, so it, it, it's tough. I can definitely see why uh, Tavares would look around and, and want something else. But at the same time, if you're the Islanders... It's you're gonna have a tough time uh, getting this kind of talent to come to your team, so you have to try and do everything possible to retain it and keep it. And I guess yeah. that, that should be their priority. And if things really go off the rails next season and aren't going the way they expected, then then maybe you kind of deal with it then. But I think right now it's still a bit too early to consider trading them. Okay, I think that's fair because ultimately, if you're trading them, then you're saying, okay, we're we're going back to the the step of rebuilding completely, basically. And and then what you know? What's your hopes? Your hopes is that you you bottom out and get somebody who's as good as Tavares. Yeah. So you already have them in hand. So I could be talked into buying some time. It's just the value. You know, as the clock is ticking, the value goes down. Do you think? Do you think there would be a significant difference in value they could get from in a trade if they were to trade them before the season versus at some point during the season? I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess. I guess it depends on you know. I, how early, but uh, yeah, I think I think 
traditionally deals done in the summer are stronger than deals done at the deadline. Hmm. Uh, teams just have a little bit more flexibility to, if you're trading something away, then you can make another move or sign a guy, or you, you have a little bit more time to maneuver if you do it now um, versus making him a pure rental. But, if, you know, the, the argument for making him a rental, if you're the Islanders, is, look, we don't even care what we're getting back for Tavares. It's never going to be what it should be. You know, we're going to lose that trade no matter what it is. So we, we're going to give him every opportunity to sign. And then and then go from there. Yeah, I feel like most uh, most Islanders fans I've interacted with are very heavily on the side of uh, not trading John Tavares, which makes sense, obviously. But yeah. it's like, you know, generally with this stuff, uh, it can be pretty dis- divisive and polarizing. And you have fans on both ends of the extreme, but it feels like Islanders fans are pretty united in... Man, we uh, what are the chances we get another player like this anytime soon? Let's try and make it work with him and right. deal, deal with deal with the consequences afterwards. I would at least be seeing what's out there. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. If I'm Garth Snow, well, I think I'm telling general managers, I'm not listening. I, I you know, really, this we're, we're, our priority is to get him signed. But hey, you know, what does a potential package look like? I think uh, I think every team should be listening on every single player. But that's uh, that's, it, well, it seems yeah. like it's the in the job 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 description of the GMs. That's fair. Um, okay, next question. This is a big one as well. Um, Daniel right. Daniel Roy asks: Is this is the Chicago dynasty built through Taves, Kane, and Keith done forever? Wow, forever? Well, I would say no. Well, at some point in their history, no. Well, I mean, built through these. So with these three guys as the oh, main okay. as the main sort of centerpiece That's and core that they're Chicago. building around. Yeah. Well. Okay. All right. Let's dive in. I probably should have looked at these ahead of time as you offered up to me. No, so, I like this. I like this. I like uh, so I could not like think, yeah. think it through. Yeah, we're, we're, you're, you're hearing the thought process. All right. So here's a couple of things. When I think of what made the Blackhawks successful, a big uh, on top of Kane and Taves, and you know they won the first cup with them on their entry level deals. That was huge for them, mm-hmm. um, and that's why you could afford to pay Brian Campbell crazy numbers and Cristobal UA and that kind of stuff. Um, so that was a big part of it. Two other factors to me on top of having Kane and Taves around were huge for the Chicago Blackhawks during their kind of dynasty years. One was having Duncan Keith signed to the best contract in all of hockey at five and a half million. Best, yeah. best deal that there is. That number, I mean, we're going to look back at that era and even now and say what an incredible contract that was for the Blackhawks. And that was a big contributing factor. And the other contract that was huge for them was Marion Hossa at a similar number, 5.2. Well, now you've subtracted Marion Hosta from the equation, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you you no longer have – so you have Kane and Taves at a number at 10.5 that makes it really hard to surround them with great players. Uh, you were still able to because you had Marion Hosta, who's a Hall of Fame player, playing at probably 2 or $3 million less, which then allowed you to have another player, you know, whoever it was, further down your lineup. And that guy usually was circulated from year to year. So that – so those are – this is a long way of saying the degree of difficulty now goes way up without that host option uh, with Kane and Taves a little bit older and that number, that 10 and a half really looming large. Um, so, uh, and so now let's look at their defense. So now you have Seabrook and Keith, you no longer have Yarmelson who, who, who probably one of the most underappreciated parts. Mm-hmm. And we're asking for Connor Murphy and, I mean, who else? Michael Kentney? Like, it's who's on that D? It's bleak. I Am mean, I Mike, Michael Roosevelt is still somehow on that blue line. I mean, Michael Roosevelt. I, I, I was a good thought exercise. Is like, I, I don't think you could name five uh, defense cores that are worse 
than what the Blackhawks currently have, unless someone like Gustav Forsling or Billy Polka all of a sudden explodes in the scene, but that seems like a, a, a stretch. So it's like, it's pretty tough beyond, beyond Duncan Keith there, there, there isn't very much. And I, I don't want to overreact to, uh, you know, to playoff exits, obviously getting swept by the Predators and in pretty convincing fashion is, is tough. And it's on, it's the most recent thing we have in our minds when we think about the Blackhawks. Sure. Um, but you know, then there was obviously the, uh, like in 2011, 2012, when they lost to the Coyotes in the first round and they come back and win the cup. So it's, you, you don't want to overreact to this, but at the same time, it's with the way, uh, they've allocated their money and, uh, with the current core they have and the players, especially on the blue line, I, I, I find it tough to believe that they're gonna, they should be considered a contender again next season. Like obviously when you have those stars, you gotta leave, uh, you gotta give them the benefit of the doubt, but, I, it's going to be tough for them next season, man. With with this blue line, it's. I think this is uh this is the start of a, a downward trend for this franchise. Yeah, I would agree with that. I was ready to say, hey, maybe we're seeing Jonathan Taves slow down because I feel like he he did a little last year, mm-hmm. but then his points per game were point eight one, which is what it was two years ago, and it's actually higher than the previous year. So I'm going to retract that comment. But that's. You know, that's my concern is with, with them is, okay, you're paying Kim Taves 10 and a half. Kane's still Kane, but I think Taves is a kind of one of those like max effort kind of guys that may, maybe won't age as well. Yeah, so, you know, he's 29 like, already. With all the mileage, yeah. 29 already, ton of mileage, all the, you know, every international tournament, all the, all these long playoff runs, um, you know, who knows? I mean, obviously, I'm not saying now he's, the decline is kicking in, but it it's going to it, you know, at some point in this contract. So I don't know. That's a, that's a team with a lot of pride. That's a team with, with, for my money, the second best coach in the game. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm not ready to say they, they don't have another run in them. Yeah. They're going to have to, um, to kind of hit big on some of these, uh, lottery ticket, like, you know, bargain bin bare minimum deals and just you hope to recoup some value there because obviously i i do believe that you know the nhl there's a discussion to be had here about whether it's a star driven league or whether you need the depth and i think it's a little bit of both and sometimes we can uh we can under underrate each of those components but like i do think you can win when you're paying a couple of guys that exorbitant amount on your cap but you just have to basically make sure you're maximizing everything else around them and that's something they did a really good job of as you as you outlined for years and right now it's it's not looking as good and i think that's the big problem with this team yeah i mean that was a question when can you win with two guys over 10 because even with uh you know the penguins they they just got lucky that and it was just a kind of how the cba fell that they were able to get malkin and crosby signed when they did in at nine and a half and 8.7 um for those two and it's just, you know, the the timing and all that with the Blackhawks and Canada Taves, those deals, it's funny because people talk about how how high those numbers are and how, you know, restrictive they are to the Blackhawks. Um, they still left money on the table. And I, I remember, like, they could have gotten easily 12, 12 and a half on the open market. And and still, that those are going to be prohibitive contracts for the Blackhawks. 
Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, if anyone can make it work, it will be uh, Joel Quenville. I feel like, especially as last year, the regular season was going along, he was really pulling all the right strings and helping get some of those young guys into the lineup in the right spots, and, and that's something they need more of this season. But, man, that, that blue line, I mean, they just got... I mean, the Predators' speed will expose a lot of teams, as we saw, but they uh, they look like they were playing a different sport during that series last year, so that's, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of tough. That's an issue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question, John Evans, and this one is uh, is hitting close to home. And I don't I don't mean to step on your toes because I'm sure the uh, you guys are working on a ten part series about this. Um, but how okay, great. Yeah. how how do we fix the Detroit Red Wings? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't want to give away our twenty five <laughs> uh, part series that we're going to run in August at the Athletic Detroit. Yeah, it's funny because you know. We're still pumping like two hockey stories out of the day. Someone's like, "What are you going to write about when training camp opens?" And I'm like, "I we haven't even thought that far ahead. I'm yeah. just trying to get through July take, here." Taking it one day at a time. We're taking it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's the question? How do we fix the Red Wings? Yes. Uh, so this is this is I don't know how much you follow this. This is the debate that's being had in Detroit, kind of ad nauseum now, is whether or not you tear it down completely to mm-hmm. the core. Or you do what Ken Holland's trying to do and um, keep kind of some of that culture around while pumping a lot of draft picks and young players and and transition in a way to success um, that way. Hmm. And I think the you know when Ken Holland and I talk about this because I I've had this debate and I've gone in circles with people in the game. Like there is no right answer because. For everybody who wants to strip it down and say they should do the Oilers, you know, you can make an argument and say, okay, for every Oilers, there's also a Coyotes team that's been awful for years that just didn't happen to hit on the lottery. Yep. Or, you know, as much as we love Carolina, they, they you know, it's been a decade since they've been in the playoffs or whatever it is. I mean, not that bad. But, you know, there's, there's other examples where, you know, if you're going to tear it down, not only you have to tear it down, you have to hit the lottery. And then you got to hope you hit the lottery in a year that Connor McDavid is the guy. And, you know, the Oilers rebuild was a disaster until they got lucky mm-hmm. with Connor. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's the tear it down model. The only thing I have, and, and this is, you know, when I talk to the people with Detroit, I just say, like, I understand the thought process here with, with what you're trying to do. I understand trying to retain the culture that's been handed down from, you know, generation to generation. I just haven't seen an example of a team that has successfully done it. Have you seen, like, that's kind of, that hasn't bottomed out and then kind of returned to glory. Like, is there, maybe you could say uh, the Dallas stars on some level, they, you know, they, they kind of took their foot off the gas and they got, uh, you know, lucky. I don't want to say lucky, but they drafted Jamie Ben, got him late, right. got Tyler Sagan in a trade. Like they didn't, I don't know if the Dallas ever went into full tank mode. Um, so they, maybe they're an example of a team now that can win a Stanley Cup that, that didn't do it. But there's not a lot of examples that have done what Detroit is trying to do, and that's, that to me is a challenge. And what they'll tell you is, is that they're, you know, they're loading up on draft picks and they'll, they'll continue to do so um, in hopes of finding that franchise player in the atypical spot where you're not drafting them in, at number one or number two overall. And, and of course there's always examples of, you know, PK Subban or Eric Carlson or guys that aren't in those slots. It's just, I think it's harder to do. So do you, do you think that, um, the fact that the Red Wings had that, uh, long streak, that postseason streak and, and have had so much success 
over the years? Do you think it's it works as a positive or negative in terms of the rebuild where it's like you could make the argument that, listen, like we were so good for so long. I think fans, there might be a bit of an appetite here for a few down seasons just because you know, they've had their share of winning, but at the same time, you do get a little bit spoiled by it and come to expect it every year. And then all of a sudden now, when you're going through this rough patch, it's, it, it makes it tougher just based on remembering how, how much better things were as recently as a few seasons ago. Yeah, I think, I think there's an element of the fan base that would be really excited if they came out and said, hey, it was a great run, um, yeah. but we want to get back to that level again. And the only way to do it is this path. And it's going to be hard for a couple of years here, but bear with us and it's going to get ugly. We just asked for your support. And I know there'd be fans that would say, awesome, let's do this. You know, Mm -hmm. we understand this. Uh, And I think, I think there's a lot of educated fans in Detroit, Uh, you know, but there's also a lot of the casual fans that fill the seats and they have, you know, they have a new arena and that's, that's something to deal with. But like, I think Toronto is a good example. I think Toronto and Detroit are, are comparable when Brennan Shanahan came out and said it. And Mike Babcock came out and said, Hey, it's going to be rough here for a while. Toronto fans were like, thank you. Like, this is what we want to do. This is a move. I think there was an element of the Toronto fans that, that were thrilled to hear that. Um, I, another factor that you have to weigh with Detroit is you have a coach in Jeff Blaschel, who this is a pretty big season for him in terms of, you know, the pressure being on him to, to, to prove that he's, he's the guy that should be behind the bench. And you have a general manager in Ken Holland who is entering the last year of his contract. And I think that if I think ownership on some level has put them in a tough spot because, you know, if you give Ken Holland a, a contract extension and say, Hey, your goal is to build a Stanley cup winner in four years or something or five, you know, I think that's a different message than if you're saying, Hey, you're entering the last year of your contract. Let's just see how this goes mm-hmm. on some level. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough right now, man. I mean, if you look at the their page on Cap Friendly, for example, it's uh, they have so much money for so many years invested in a bunch of guys who, you know, you can make the argument uh, just in a vacuum are, are fine enough players, but like aren't moving the needle for this franchise. So it's it's right. I think it's gonna it's gonna take a few years to. Uh, to dig out of this hole or sort of they back themselves into this corner. It's going to take a few years. And I think that the sooner they, it's easy. Like just, just like with the Tavares thing, it's much easier for me to just say, just completely blow it up. Uh, Cause I'm not emotionally invested in it at all. But uh, I think the sooner they kind of recognize what's going on here and, and address it and do it properly, uh, the better they'll be for it because like you mentioned, it's, it's really tough in, in today's uh, NHL landscape with, with the cap situation to kind of just like half acid and try to tread water for a while. And then all of a sudden hit a couple home runs and, and be back into contender status. Like you, you do need those peaks and valleys, I think. Yeah, no, that's fair. And we, at least we've seen that we can sit there and go, uh, you know, here's exhibit A, B and C of teams that have done it. The problem is, you know, they're, they're, for every one of those, there's also the ones that even like Buffalo, like I think Tim Murray, for the most part, I agreed with everything he did. Mm. Like when Tim Murray was making moves, we used to going, Ooh, I don't know about that. Like he tore it down. He was aggressive in it. And, and uh, along with Darcy Regeer at the beginning. Um, and then, but you know what? They think pong ball doesn't bounce. And sometimes you get Jack Eichel, who's a good player, but you didn't get Connor McDavid. And, you know, you, or, or you're picking second in the draft that just doesn't have, uh, you're picking second in the, you know, a couple of drafts and one time you get Jack Eichel and you know, the next time you're getting Sam Reinhardt, you know what I'm saying? Who's not going to, he's not going to end up being one of those guys. Yeah. 
but I mean, obviously now Tim, Tim Murray's not around anymore to to, uh, to reap the rewards of this. But like, wouldn't you? You'd much rather take the Sabers' current situation than the Red Wings, right? One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Which roster would I rather have right now? I would rather have a Sabers roster. Yeah. It's just it's, but like I still don't think that's a playoff roster. So you're now right. another year out of it. And I and I'm not like I, I you know I don't want to come off as arguing against it, but like it, it's just it's gonna like that's gonna a miserable process we've been going through. Like when was the last time the Sabers were in the playoffs or a team that you thought could win the Stanley Cup? It's been yeah, it's been a while. Since it's been a while. Yeah, but it's gonna be a while since we say that about the Red Wings too, though. So yeah, yeah. Um, all right, uh, Connor Riley asks. Um, you know, he, he, he asks about this was a bit of a deal and kind of compares it to what uh, Victor Arvidsson went for and asks whether the Rangers got a good deal or not. And I think, you know, rather than comparing those two contracts, I'm much more interested in discussion about, uh, you know, what the Predators have made a living on doing the past few years by sort of uh, getting their younger players to take uh, potentially less future money for the security of being, you know, locked up long term and knowing that they're going to be getting paydays for years to come. And, you know, with a guy like Victor Arvidsson, there was a debate when he, when he signed about why he would settle for 4.25 per season when last year he played as a bona fide first line winger and he's only 24 years old. And it's, you know, if he has another year or two like that, all of a sudden he could be making in the, in the $7 million range or at least in the sixes. But at the same time, um, I think people are overlooking the fact that when someone offers you uh, $30 million, it's really hard to say no to that. That's <laughs> really hard. I mean, <laughs> who knows? And so how, so that, that one, that's a seven year deal. I'm trying to figure out what, how old he would be when he's like out of that 30, deal. Do 31, you know number? 31, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so he's, you're losing a few years in unrestricted. Um, he, but let's say he is, he does become that first line winger over the course of this. He's going to have a couple of years where he's underpaid, but I mean, we've seen it. 31 year olds are still getting pretty big contracts in free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, who knows what's going to happen in seven years, but you know, he's, uh, there's what I'm giving at. There's a second contract to be had after this one that probably can be pretty good. And I think if you're the national predators, this is this is the way you have to approach these things because I mean, you are taking on some risk in signing a guy this long. But but the better you know, but then you end up having contracts like Roman Yossi's. Like you know, we mentioned the Duncan Keith contract. But holy mm-hmm. smokes, Roman Yossi at four million for another two years after this season yeah. is in the Ekholm deal. Same thing. Yeah, Ryan yes, Elsie, yeah. like, these are. And I, you know, I talked to somebody, uh, an executive with another, another team shortly after the Arvidsson deal went down, and he's like. They, he, that he's more valuable now than he was yesterday. Mm-hmm. That contract, like his trade value, just went up. And how often can you say that about a guy who just signed a long-term contract extension? Like this is a guy, and, and that's the beauty of these teams, these, these deals. Is you know that's a good sign when when you can do a long-term deal and people are like, ooh, you know, I want to trade for that guy now. Yeah, I mean, the past two seasons he was making six hundred forty k, and all of a sudden uh, now he gets offered those thirty million dollars. It's 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 very easy, and 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 it. It it is one of those things where you have to uh you have to acknowledge the risk reward and it's quite possible that he gets injured next season and all of a sudden the landscape changes for him completely right so there is something to be said about having that type of security and knowing that you're in, you're going to be in a good place and I get it from him and you know for the Nashville Predators they keep doing these types of deals and I think that that's we we talk about how it's a copycat league other teams should be looking around and paying attention to what they're doing because 
their cap situation is is fantastic and it's mostly because they're just they're just dominating uh they're dominating the market in terms of getting these young players for their like mid twenties for way below market value, and uh, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the way you should be structuring these contracts rather than you know yeah yeah I was gonna, you know who's good at his job is Paul Fenton like how mm-hmm. he hasn't gotten another GM or gotten a GM job and I mean David Poyle obviously but uh, Paul you know is behind the scenes and he's like the you know run the draft for years I mean not only are these great players that they're signing to great contracts like these are great players that getting at, at good spots in the draft. And in fact, when we talk about, you know, what team hasn't bottomed out, like when was the last time the Predators were at the top of the, the draft? Like well, this is a team the, that's kind of done it, it was that pretty one, well. There was that one year when they got Seth Jones and they really, everything just fell apart for oh, them. Right. Rene was injured and it was like Merrick Mazanik was a thing for a few months and then all of a sudden he fell off. Was that the lockout year? I think so, that yeah. That might have been the lockout year. That was a good now, year, good a good year to bottom theory, out. Like, yeah. That was the year to bottom out. Yeah. And I, I, I remember talking to... Um, George McPhee about this. I went to Washington. They started out really slow. I guess, hopefully, I can share this now. We have, there's been enough time, mm. and, and no, no uh, one listens to this. You're fine. No one. Uh, <laughs> so, like, so I went into DC. Uh, you remember, like Ovechkin came and like struggled right off the hop. All the people coming back out of the lockout that played in the KHL. I think there was some some adjustment issues, and and I'm like, boy, what an opportunity! You know, this is the time to. This is the year to just like take take a year off here. You know, there's only whatever 30 games left. Um, get you're the Capitals. Get a, a top pick, and and um, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I think George on some level was like, you know, I, that, that makes sense. But at the same time, that's a market with pressure to win nonstop, and especially when you have a player like Ovechkin. And not only did they not do that, they traded. That was the year they traded Forsberg. So. Yeah, I just would listen to me. To me. I mean, having a, obviously like when you bought him out the. Uh, the year could be very, very long for your fans. And obviously if you're only playing a, an abbreviated schedule, that definitely is the time. Like to, that's the year to do it. Yeah. I think yep, that's, it, so it maybe would, I, I doubt, I thought it was intentional for Nashville, but it worked out pretty well. It would take a, it would take a really sadistic mind and, and, and a long con at that. But if, uh, <laughs> I hope there's one team out there right now, just like planning to bottom out, uh, specifically for, the for this lockout. next lockout. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell you like every contract that's being done now, like if you look at how they're structured are all structured around the, that lockout. Mm. Like everyone's just like, okay, yeah. When the lockout of 20, whatever it is, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's what, that's how we're approaching this now. Like it's a, it's, it's scheduled. Mm. Um, so there was a question, uh, later on here about offer sheets. Um, but since we're on the Predators and since you, as you mentioned, wrote about Ryan Johansson and offer sheets, um, do you want to get into that a little bit here? Yeah. I, I love offer sheets. I, we could have talked this whole mm. podcast. About so, so the, the, the thing you hear constantly from executives in terms of why it doesn't happen is because, uh, you don't want to bird bridges or you don't want to have, uh, other teams coming for you, uh, when you're in a similar spot. But if you look, at some of the offer sheets that have been signed over the years, um, there isn't really any sort of uh, notable retaliation to speak of for any of them that were signed. So I, f- I feel like that is kind of an unfounded argument a little bit. I, here's what I would say. That, that gets brought up a lot, maybe because I, I always include it like mm. that in my you know analysis when I'm talking to people. But the number one reason is when you talk to people, they don't think they work. If teams could get players with offer sheets, GMs would do it all the time. And it's just the way the system is set up right now, um, the, the offer sheet gets matched every single time. 
Well, you have to go back to Dustin Penner in 2007. And then before that, it was 1997. So we're talking two decades of offer sheet possibilities. And two of them were successful in, in getting the player. So when I talk to GMs and they're like, yeah, if I thought I could get the player, um, I would do it. I would, it, it but otherwise, you, you, the, the assumption is they're going to match. So then all you're doing, and then it gets to the second point that people you know, bring up. All you're doing then is inflating salaries and, and you're inviting yourself to you know, become a target. And, you know, you're, you're eating up any goodwill you might have with, you know, general managers and your colleagues and that sort of thing. But all that would go aside if general managers thought they truly could get the player if they signed up to an option, I believe. But isn't there a little bit of a gamesmanship here where, okay, let's take the uh, Edmonton Oilers, for example, with Leon Dreisaitl. Um He's, you know, he had this comment a couple of weeks ago now where he was saying that, um, you know, he thought he was like a, a $9 million player or something to that effect. And then, you know, Peter Shirley comes out and says, listen, like we're going to match anything, uh, anyone signs and that's perfectly fine, but there yeah, is, they always say that, there yeah. is an element to, okay, but if we make the Oilers pay a couple extra million that they might not have to otherwise here, then all of a sudden, they're going to be in a tougher spot financially and might not be able to either retain players or might have to trade other guys down the line. And that's sort of gives you a competitive advantage as a team that it's, that is in theory competing directly against Edmonton Oilers. No, right. I get that. And I, you know, I, I like that in theory, but then when it comes time, I, like, I'm trying to think of a team that would do this. It, like, let's say you're doing it just to screw up the Oilers cap situation. Mm-hmm. Then You've got, you know, you've got a dry, so you dry title signs for 2 million more than maybe you would have otherwise. Yep. Now you've got a new comparable on the market when it comes time to do your young forwards contract. And they, his, his agent says, Hey, you know, you guys thought Leon Dreisaitl was worth nine and a half. You know, I know I'm not Leon Dreisaitl, but I'm certainly not 4 million less than Leon Dreisaitl. Right. So now you, have you not only screwed up the Oilers cap situation, you've now cost, you know, in theory, and this is how they think. Like I've had these conversations. You, you've screwed up your cap situation because now you've got to go to your guy. They don't want to hear, Hey, I was just doing it to screw up the Oilers. You know, we don't really think he's worth it. Like that's, that's not going to fly for the most part. So that's, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but that's kind of, I, I can tell you that that's the thought process. And also I'm looking now though, there's the retaliation. There was, there was, uh, it looks like there was the, you know, remember the David Backus? Oh, Steve Bernier. Bernier. Oh man. <laughs> that was, that was the last version of like, good thing the Canucks hey, retained Steve Bernier. Yeah. 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 Boy, the blues really showed them there. Well, this happens, right, this, this happens more in the, uh, more in the NBA than the NHL, obviously, because, uh, cause of the RFA system and, and cause more offer sheets are signed. But like sometimes, uh, the, the teams that sign a guy to an offer sheet, but it gets matched, like wind up looking back at it and being super relieved that they didn't wind up getting the player. Um, so yeah, right, I feel like you, right. you, you can make that argument. I mean, the Steve Bernier one was a, was a small one. So it was, it wouldn't have been crippling, but it is sometimes one of those things where there is a gamble involved. That's never necessarily a sure thing. Like I feel very good that Leandre Seidel was an awesome player that would be worth $9.5 million per yeah. season. But maybe, maybe two years from now, all of a sudden you're looking back at it and going like, phew, I'm, I'm glad he's not on our books for 9.5. But if you're going to overpay for a guy, like GMs have, don't seem to have a huge issue doing it on July 1st with unrestricted free agents who are 30. Right. And, they, and they'll do it with the explanation saying, yeah, I had to hold my notes, but if you want to get the player, this is what it costs to play ball. Right. So, I, you know, it was two years longer than I wanted, but 
we wanted to get the player. And to me, if you're going to overpay it, wait, I way would rather overpay for Dreisaitl and who at least has some potential attached to him at the still. And, and, you know, or even like, you know, Ryan O'Reilly. So like, he, you know, he's going to end up, we're going to look back at Ryan O'Reilly's career and like his contract, like he's always paid a little bit more than he probably should have been. Mm-hmm. But still, like I'd rather overpay for a centerman, you know, an Olympic centerman than some guy. In, so like, I don't know. I, I, I think they're underutilized for sure. Um, but it's, I think the system is probably to blame too. Like I'm not. Yo, Craig, you just know, hold on a second. Someone, someone's yeah. drilling upstairs. Just wait a second. A big part of the reason we're able to keep churning out the show throughout the summer while everyone else seemingly has uh, taken time off to enjoy their well-deserved off-season break is because of the fine folks at SeatGeek who are sponsoring today's episode of the Hockeypedia cast. The other thing they're doing is helping make the process of finding and acquiring tickets to sporting events and concerts easier than ever before. While I know some of you out there fancy yourselves bargain hunters and enjoy the grind of scouring various websites and trying to find the best deals, most of you probably have bigger and more important things to worry about on a daily basis. And that makes your time really precious, and SeatGeek knows that, and that's why they are doing all of this work for you. They've put together a collection of the best values available for whatever event your heart desires, providing you with numerous options depending on your location and cost preferences. If you needed any more incentive to check them out, they're also providing all my listeners with a $20 rebate that can be used on future tickets uh, if you just name drop the PDOcast. To redeem that, all you got to do is follow a couple of easy steps. Just download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, Enter the promo code PDO and see if he will send you $20 after you make your first ticket purchase. And now, let's get back to the rest of the show. So we, we were talking about Roger Hansen on an offer sheet earlier, and it sounds like he has signed a new deal in the meantime. Um, so there, awesome. there goes that out of the window. That's one fewer offer sheet. Can get the detail yes. while we're doing that. Okay, so Craig, uh, while, yes. while we were last talking, we were talking about a... Uh, players the nhl should be marketing to their more casual maybe fans to to get them interested in the product and show them how fun and exciting the nhl and hockey in general can be who are some of these guys uh that the league should be marketing more more aggressively yeah i think you know i mean i think pk obviously is a good one Mm. but um i i don't know like like it's it's funny like is that on the league or is that on teams i always i always have this debate because i don't know how much the league does in terms of 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 pumping guys up. Um, like, like, I guess the question would be, who do I feel doesn't get the attention he deserves? And, and, and I think part of it is, is you have to match a personality with that. Like, you know, I think of like, maybe like a guy like Nicholas Backstrom, maybe is under appreciated as a player and his contributions to the game. But like Backstrom's a pretty like chill, low key guy. Like, I don't know if you put him on stage. Like, I mean, we've all seen like those Geico commercials and I think we're okay not seeing him on the spotlight too much. And I think he is too. Um, a guy who I think is really funny that, that probably could be, have more attention than even gets now is Eric Carlson. And I I would be okay to see him. I I mean, Crosby and Ovechkin are are certainly, you know, that's that generation. And now we're seeing McDavid and Matthews kind of be this generations. And, and I think it'd be cool if a couple of those like superstar defensemen, you know, I you could even throw Brent Burns into there, like uh, you know, Burns and Subban and Carlson. These are such unique players; they're so fun to watch, and each one of them has their own kind of unique personality. Uh, like all really funny. I would be if I'm in the league, I'm pushing those three 
much as I possibly can. Well, and part of it does hap- have to happen organically. And, you know, guys like Burns and Carlson, you just mentioned, they're really good examples because each of the past two seasons, we've seen their teams make long playoff runs. And then at that point, yeah. it's much easier to sort of kind of show those guys off when fewer teams and fewer players are, are playing. And you can kind of key in on them more. And uh, that's like a, a big, huge national stage to, to market them on. So I agree. I, th- I think, you know, the league definitely could do a bit of a better job, especially like on those Wednesday night rivalry nights. Uh, you know, you could you could go out of your way to maybe market specific players and specific teams a bit more. But sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, this is a big discussion. We could really do like a full podcast on this in terms of uh, whether the NHL is doing enough to or, 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 or devoting their energy and, and resources in the right places to attract casual fans because, you know, like a league like the NBA has done such a great job of it um, yeah. over the past couple of years. And some of that has to do with the fact that the product is at an all-time high and it kind of speaks for itself. But I mean, so that you, the same argument can be made for the NHL. I mean, you look at guys like McDavid and Matthews that are coming into the league and there's absolutely no reason why people shouldn't be excited about the direction the NHL is headed in. I mean, the guy Jerlin's excited about it. He got, he got pumped up. <laughs> he liked that answer. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of it, like so much of it is, uh, depends on how, you know, the long runs these teams make, like who really appreciated uh, Andre Kopitar until the Kings started going on a run or, you know, or, or Drew Doughty until really, I, to me, his breakout stage was the Olympics in 2010. And people are like, oh my gosh, this kid is unbelievable. And you watch how Mike Babcock used him, and it was there was clearly a trust there. So part of it has to be organically, and and yeah, I think I think there's there's ways that the league and, and and maybe the media on some level. But I can tell you, like, you know, when I was at ESPN, I could write about like even within the same team, I could write about Evgeny Malkin, and it would get lukewarm clicks from mm-hmm. fans. And I could write the same story about Sidney Crosby. And it got a trillion clicks. Yeah, and and so so that you know it's a business, and we're trying to make money. So you write more about Sidney Crosby, and then everyone goes, "Oh my gosh, yeah, you know another Sidney Crosby story." And it's like, well, you guys are clicking on it, yeah, like crazy. And when we do write about Malkin, who, as we all know, is is underappreciated and probably doesn't get the attention he deserves, and probably was the right answer to the, the initial question. Um, people aren't as interested in it. And so, you know, I, I think that generates part of the interest too, for whatever reason. Yeah. No, believe me. I, uh, I'm not sure how much my bosses will appreciate me talking about this, but, uh, I definitely get asked to, to write about Canadian teams or at least kind of try to, uh, bring them in on the discussion because people, uh, are very interested in those markets and, and click it a lot. And that's sort of what drives the business. So it's, uh, you gotta, Yeah. What's wrong with what's wrong with saying that? Like, like, uh, does you know, do our counterpart for the Moscow, you know, newspaper every time he writes Ovechkin or whatever, that probably gets more clicks. So, like, right? Do Russian hockey fans get mad that Sidney Crosby isn't covering us? Like, I think it's okay to be yeah a little you know territorial in your coverage. Yeah, I don't know. I think because that's, that's right. where the interest is. Like, that's you know, this guy's from your province or your state or whatever. There's a connection there. Yeah, I'm with you. I I just would like to see uh, there is an is- impasse between how fun hockey is and how fun the NHL is sometimes, and I'd like to see that become a a, th- a thing that's kind of more utilized and appreciated and branded properly. So I'm not sure what the right strategy is, but I feel like uh, there's some solution there. Fun in terms of the sport and like how it's played. And yeah, yeah. I mean, if you yeah, if yeah. you have anyone sit down and watch, especially like a playoff game. 
I think everyone would agree that playoff hockey is the absolute best, but sometimes the decisions the NHL makes might not necessarily be the most conducive to making it a, a fun league to follow. Yeah, that's fair. I don't, I don't think the NHL... I, I've always contended that the, the, the popularity of hockey in the NHL exceeds kind of in spite of the league mm. at times and their efforts. Like, that's just, you know, I see stuff and I'm like, oh my gosh, what a missed opportunity. Yeah. You know, that's um, another discussion for another day. Okay, so so my guy, Wavy Gravy here asks, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. he, he asks, uh, where does Markov end up now that the Habs have decided not to bring him back? And and he asked this before it came out that Markov is going back to the KHL. Yeah, I, I can answer that one. Yes, we can answer that. Um, but are you, were you, I guess the question here is, were you surprised that that happened uh, obviously maybe some of it has to do with the looming olympics and eligibility for that but he did make it seem like he wanted to come back to montreal even on a one-year deal and there wasn't yeah. mutual interest and i find that surprising considering that despite his advancing age uh he's still a very useful top four nhl defenseman and the habs don't have four of those guys so there's something weird going on there here's what i think is weird to me, this is the question I'd like to answer. So, okay, you have no room for Markov, who's still, you know, is great for your power play. You're trying to win a Stanley Cup this year in Montreal. Clearly, you've got an aging Shea Weber. You've got a big number coming for Carey Price. And you're sitting, and you're a, a team that's like, you know, raking in money so you can spend all you want. And you're sitting on it almost eight and a half million in cap space right now? Yeah. Can you explain that to me, Dimitri? Like what? Well, I mean, I, I, something, something's up to me in Montreal. That's all I'm thinking. Yeah, it sounds like uh, they're working on something to fill that gap. I'm not sure what. Well, it's not a Ryan Johansson offer sheet. That was one of my working theories. Yeah, That's <laughs> maybe it's a Leon Dreisaitl offer sheet. <laughs> well, mm. I don't know. They're, like, what's what's that eight million? That's not going to do you any good, you know, in your Stanley Cup efforts. You don't spend it. Yeah, uh, yeah, that eight million in cap space is going to be a pretty good defense partner to to Shea Weber next season. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I'm just that that to me is a question. So if you you have no room for Markov for whatever reason, that to me suggests that you got I don't know maybe there's something else cooking. And Montreal is one of those teams you don't get a lot of information out of. So I'm just like looking at it from you know from the outside, saying what what are they up to? Mm. Um, okay. Christian Veselovsky here asks if you could set one uh, star player free from their current team, and he he used the term terrible team. I'll just say team. Who would it be? So is there is there a per, is, there, is, is, is there a player that's like in a, that's been in a situation for a few years that might be one of those stars that is goes overlooked just because he's not playing on a big stage or having that playoff spotlight that you'd like to see while he's still in his prime and his most effective years get that opportunity even if it's on another another team you know who that would have been was eric carlson mm. uh, like i, I want to set him free and then they went on you know they could have been playing for a stanley cup and that's what's that's what's so weird about the league you know like it, and it, like teams will say hey look ottawa did it so we can do it so if they use that kind of stuff to justify maybe not great decisions yeah but i would have said um i would have, that would have been my candidate and, and it still kind of is because i just I thought that was fluky, and and I don't, I can't, I can't imagine that happening again. And I, like I'm, I'm worried that that we're gonna see, um, you know, I'm, I'm just worried that we're not gonna see him on the stages we want to see him on in the next few years. And and to kind of bring the podcast full circle, I, maybe John Tavares would be the other guy. Yeah, like 
you know, I don't, I'm not sure what the, what the Islanders are doing. And I don't see them as a team that's on the cusp of greatness. And I think John Tavares is a great player who should be, when we, when we talk about Taves and we talk about Crosby, like Tavares should come naturally next. And it just, it doesn't now because he hasn't had that opportunity through no fault of his own. Um, so I would, you know, I would like to free John Tavares. So I, I, have, I have two answers here. One is the more conventional one, and that's Oliver ekman Larson. Um, you know, at least, at least the Coyotes made a concerted effort this year to get a bunch of NHL players. So they, uh, they should be respectable next season, at least. So that'll be a big step. And, you know, if he all of a sudden plays with a guy like Jalmerson, I feel like that's going to be like the best partner he's had. And and that'll be fascinating to see how he responds to that. I think the other guy, um, and I don't want to free this guy. I just want the team to sort of finally, put it all together and that's Blake Wheeler with the Winnipeg Jets. Um mm. I think that like if you look at pretty much any sort of uh deeper metric, I mean even obviously just by points, he shows really well, but if you look at anything more advanced than that, like Blake Wheeler generally rates as one of the best most effective players in the league, and I feel like a lot of more casual fans would just be surprised by that just because he's played on this Winnipeg team that just consistently is disappointed and I don't know. I, I, I think he's awesome. And he's sort of that prototypical power forward that, you know, captures your imagination and, and really gets people excited. And I feel like if he was playing on a more, on a better, more successful team, people would sort of finally realize just how good and dominant he can be. Yeah. That's an, he's an interesting one. Cause yeah, when you sometimes you see his numbers and his advanced stats and he, he jumps off the charts a little bit and you're like, wow, we're not appreciating a, you know, maybe him for, for what he is. And mm. uh, speaking of, he's a guy, I like his contract too. They did a nice job on that one. Yeah, they did. I like that a lot. Winnipeg has a little bit of that, you know, they, sometimes they do that Nashville thing too. And I think that's smart. Yeah. Winnipeg and Carolina are the two teams where I'm like every, every summer I'm like, you know what? I, I really like the players this, these teams have. If their goaltending, <laughs> if their goaltending can hold up, uh, they could really make a nice little run and surprise people here. And, and both teams brought in a goalie this summer that'll hopefully finally do that for them. So I'm optimistic, but I've said the exact same thing for the past like three summers. So don't listen to me when it comes to those two teams. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who, mm. which team has more points during the regular season, Winnipeg or Carolina this year? Oh, I'll go Winnipeg just because oh. I think the Metro division is brutal. Okay. I think right. it's going to be I'll real. I'll Carolina. Let's, let's just make a bet. Let's, let's bet a beer. I'm not saying I feel strongly about this, but I always just like to take the other side. Yeah, let's do it. That's a, that'll be a fun one All to right. follow. I think it'll be pretty close, honestly. Right. I think both teams could be right. in the low 90s, I guess. Um, I like Carolina's goalie choice better. That would be my, if I was to argue this, Yeah, I like what Carolina did not go a little bit better. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's definitely fair. Um, okay, let's, let's, let's do one more, one or two more questions here since it seems like uh, the drilling has slowed down, although it's... I'm, You're I'm sure really that, tempting fate. I'm like really it. tempting fate. Um, so, so Passive Voice asks, what was the biggest team level missed opportunity this off season or, and then he goes, maybe a team not recognizing a window to win or to sell high or something else. Um, was there, was there a team this summer that you thought maybe went in mm. uh, a direction you wouldn't have gone in if you were running the team? Biggest missed opportunity. Mm. Uh, wow. That's, gosh. I can, do you have an answer so I can really think this through? Well, See, I, I'm going to say Toronto here 
And I understand that they, you know, they spend a bunch of money on Patrick Marlowe and he's going to be a nice little upgrade. Um, and, you know, they bring in Ron Hainsey. But uh, we talked about this during the season. I remember you wrote about it where there's this window with Matthews, Marner, and Nylander making just peanuts compared to what they're going to be making a few years from now. And I'd like to see them sort of think big and swing for the fences and try to bring in players that would actually sort of really move the needle. And I just don't think I, I like I'm, I'm underwhelmed by the summer they had, like they, they're going to be better next season just because their players are going to develop and they did add a few guys, but I feel like it could have been more inspiring. Um, so they're one team, I guess you can make sort of yeah. a sim- similar argument with Edmonton. I would have definitely said that before they got like a UC Jokinen for next to nothing and even took a flyer on Johan Avi too. And I like those moves. But even before that, I thought that like last year, for example, while they had Dreisaitl and McDavid both on their entry levels, they really should have gone for it. And they just kind of were, were content sitting back and just treating the season as, as a success based on how bad they'd been the years prior. That's good. Those are good ones. I, you know, I, I, I'm with you in Toronto. You remember that I wrote that. Like I'm, I'm in like they should just be in full and all, all in mode right now. And I think the Marlowe signing indicates that. Like you're signing Marlowe really for the next two. You had to give him three years. I don't think there's anybody in Toronto that really believes year three is going to be of a ton of use. I don't think. Maybe. Um, so th- that was that was for the next couple of years, and and so that signals to me that they they feel the same way that you do. I just I agree. I think they could have been a little bit more aggressive. How about the Jets? Like, uh, you know, I, I won't, you know, I, I, they're, they're so patient, but I, and I'm not sure what I wanted them to do more than they did. Yeah. You know, when they did address their goaltending, I, I guess I wasn't crazy with all the goalies available. I, I would have liked to have seen them upgrade a little bit more than Steve Mason, because I just think at some point you got to tell that fan base, you know, yes, we are collect, collecting young talent here. Um, but it's, you know, I, I would have liked to see them off the aggressiveness a little bit just because, they do have so many good young players there. It would be nice to see them have a little bit more of a sure thing in goal right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, on the other end of things, you know, one, a part of the question was a team that maybe should have sold higher or, or tried to cash in while they can. Um, were you surprised that the San Jose Sharks were kind of just willing to bring the band back together sans Patrick Marlowe? I mean, I guess there wasn't much they could have done. Like, obviously, bringing back Joe Thornton as opposed to just losing him for nothing is better. But, I mean, I don't know. It seemed like they... You wanted them to sell? Like, I'm not sure what San Jose could have done. Well, I mean, this is another one of those things where it's easy for us to... to from while we're podcasting here to, to make these kind yeah, of sure. out, outlandish trades. But what could they have gotten for Brent Burns in a trade this summer? Oh, man. No, yeah. I, I, I mean, they could have gotten a ton, but yeah. you trade Brent Burns and you're spending the next 10 years trying to get that guy back. Yeah. Look, like, here's the thing about the, here's the thing with the Sharks. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to turn it over. Um, you let Marlowe walk, you know, Joe Thornton's got whatever, one or two years left. You know, you, you, well, there's, you maybe can argue that they, they can still with a core of, let's say it's Couture, Pavelski, Brent Burns and Martin Jones still put together another team, you know, with that core minus Marlon Thornton that can have some success. Yeah. I mean, that would, I'm not sure what the show I was like, I'm not sure I could have supported a Brent Burns trade. Well, then you're, then you're, 
depends what yeah, you're getting you're back. Again. Completely at Thornton Marlowe. Yeah, no, I guess. Yeah, you can trade anybody like, to your original point. But I just think they're in a tough spot. I, I think they have to at least if, if you are going to sign Burns to that, that extension and you are going to, you know, you're, you're clearly trying to stick with that defense with last six contract extension and Jones's contract extension and goal. Um, you're, you're saying, okay, we're still trying to win now. I would like to see the Sharks make a move to add uh, 25 goals on the wing that they lost in Marlowe. Like that, that's a real production that's gone as, as much as maybe we didn't want Marlowe to, you don't want to pay him what he got in Toronto. You still have to replace that somehow for the Sharks. Yeah. So I think that's something we have to address at some point. Yeah, you always got to consider an alternative. Um, okay, one final thing. We haven't really talked about the Washington Capitals much on this podcast, and I got a few no. questions about that. You know, like a Christian Flores asked if the, someone had offered Sheeted Burakovsky, what would they have done? Would they have moved some other pieces, or would they have just had to have let him walk? And uh, Jess Hughes asks about uh, trying to get ahead on, you know, John Carlson's free agency, considering he has one year left, and whether... They probably can't. Will be able to afford him if they should kind of look into trading him now. I mean, if you're the Capitals, is it sort of what we just talked about with the with the Sharks? Where I mean, you're you're such a good team that you just kind of have to bring it back, even if that might not be uh, the sexiest option. Because uh, there's not there there aren't too many moves they can make here other than really getting super aggressive and trying to okay just blow it up by trading really good players for future young assets. Yeah, like it's just we're gonna look back at this last offseason or that last playoff as the the giant missed opportunity for the Capitals. Mm. I mean, that series. I was on that whole Penguins Capitals series, and I, I the whole time you're like, how are the Penguins winning this? I mean, it was like even to, to the point then when it was over, and you go into the Capitals dressing room after, and nobody had any answers, and and it was like, boy, this was this was their best shot, and they it's not like they played poorly, like. I wasn't, you know, it's not like they choked. Like, they outplayed them for long stretches in that series. And then it was just like Sidney Crosby, you know, and Phil Kessel had a couple moments. It was just like these, those stars kind of willed the Penguins to wins in the opportune times. And um, what I, like, I was with you, and I know, I kind of know where you stand on this. Like, I was in the let TJ Oshie walk. Yeah. And, and give Burakovsky, um, give him a little bit more uh, offensive opportunity. So that to me, like if we're gonna if we're gonna critique the off season, I would I would have and I don't know how, what it looked like, but I would have loved to have seen them find a way to keep Nation around because now that defense you're missing, you're losing two completely different kind of players, but in Alsner and Schmidt, but they're you know still two big parts of that D, and so I I don't know I mean last year was there that that was a year to go for it and. Maybe they compounded a little bit by a couple decisions I probably don't agree with. Well, that's the thing. I mean, right now I would I would be all in on uh, selling high on John Carlson because I am too. I wrote that too. I thought they should have moved Carlson and then free yeah. up because now his number is going to be crazy. Well, he's turning 20, 28 in January, and you know he's on this great contract right now where he's been making like under four million for the past five or six years. But uh, he's going to get him. He's going to cash in. And he's one of those players where I feel like uh, there's always been a mismatch between the the physical tools and the actual production. Like he he puts up the mm-hmm. points and he plays in the power play and he has the big shot and you know he he can be a big hitter and he can be physical and and he looks smooth out there. But it's never really necessarily translated into him being this impactful five on five guy. And 
I it's it's tough to justify trading him now considering this is still a team that fancies itself a contender and having lost Schmidt and Alsner, if you trade Carlson as well and don't get back a defenseman in that trade, all of a sudden you're relying on a bunch of AHL or super young guys to to eat up a lot of minutes on the blue line and that's not the an optimal position to be in. So they might just have to ride it out yeah. with Carlson this season, but I wouldn't want to be on the hook for his next contract either. And I feel like teams there's gonna gotta be at least one team in the league that is super high on John Carlson as a as, sure. a as a player and I feel like you could get a nice return. So I would have explored that, but with everything that's happened this summer it might be tougher to do now. I feel like well now you've kind of boxed yourself in on some level. You can't you can't lose Nate Schmidt, Carl Alsner and John Carlson. Mm. Um the number on Johansson's eight. Eight? Yeah, I'm seeing that too. But, you know, I'm wondering why you're looking at your Twitter and while you're answering this question. Are you not devoting your all, no, your, all your full attention I, to me? I gotta, I, for the record, it, was, it came via text. So <laughs> yeah. that's why I answered it. Okay. Okay. Did Ryan text you or did David Poyle text you? Yeah, like, I feel like I'm being mocked right now. <laughs> I mean, it's on Twitter as well. I can see that, but... <laughs> I'm, you were asking why I'm on Twitter while you're talking. It was I wasn't on Twitter. Mm. I was receiving a text from someone that says eight x eight. Okay. All right. Um, all right. One one final thing here. Um, I I got asked. Uh, Josh Scapin asks, "Does the Gidna play in the NHL again?" And I guess you could ask the similar thing about you know a guy like Shane Doan, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that uh, that they're gonna? sign on with a team or do you there's a school of thought that you know some of these veterans could potentially uh chill out for the first few months participate in the olympics and then sign on with a contender after that like does that does it have you heard rumblings about that being uh an intriguing option for some of these guys especially even like a younger younger, for example i haven't like like quite frankly like i haven't explored this with anybody so i haven't talked to anybody about this Mm. so i don't but it would just be me saying if I was in Jerome McGinley's shoes or Shane Doan's shoes, what would I do? And I mean, like again, wasn't particularly good last year, right? Like what, you know, if there was a team that, I mean, I don't know. I, I, these are two, two great players, great players, of the generation and great dudes. So I, I don't have a huge appetite to run them down or where they are in their career. Mm-hmm. But I'll say like, if I was them and I had an opportunity to play in the Olympics and go out that way, I think that has much more appeal than to try to be, uh, you know, let's say a fourth liner on a team or something at this point. Like these are great, great players. I would rather than see that. And then who knows? Like, let's say they hold out, you know, and say, I want to play for Canada and they get that opportunity. And it's, there's some great storybook story. And then some team says, great, we're going to pick you up for the stretch run. Like that to me is the dream scenario. If you're one of these two, two guys. Yeah, I uh, yeah they don't they, they don't have much left in the tank. I mean, uh, you know, a guy like Ian Luck could be useful on the power play in the right situation, and maybe that would be appealing to a contender. But it is always it is like I understand as uh, as high end competitors that they have this you know desire to keep playing as long as they can. But as a fan, it's it's it can be sometimes a little disheartening or depressing seeing these guys go out this way when you remember like how great they were at their at their peak and how what the shell of themselves that they are right now. I mean would they each have like six goals last year or eight yeah, goals? Well, I guess I had more than that. I don't know. Now, now where are you at on, on Yager? Because I know like there's people that are banging the drum that they can't believe he can't find um a spot in the NHL this year. 
I think and so. I'm not sure. Like, I, I know his numbers are good and his underlying numbers are all good, but man, he slows the game down when he's on the ice. I would say, like, you have to basically change the way you play. Yeah. When you're sending him over the boards. Yeah, there's partic- there's definitely specific fits and teams that don't make sense. Like, he wouldn't have made sense for a team like the Leafs, obviously. Um, I, th- I think he has more left in the tank than those other guys. And, you know, I, I brought up this point on the last podcast where I think he there's no reason a guy like him should be playing 80 regular season games. So if he sits out the first few months and then comes back for the final, whatever, 30, 40 games, and then gets ready for the postseason, like, that makes a lot more sense to me. So... I'm not outraged that he hasn't signed yet, um, but if he gets completely just driven out of the NHL, I will be a bit sad because I do think he, he still has something left to contribute to a contender. Yeah. No, that's fair. All right. Um, yeah, I think we've done our due diligence here. Man, we um, we uh, we should we made a, a mastered and worthy comeback there for... Uh, it really was. Like I, I mean, I wanted to, like, to pat ourselves on the back. We were, we we were, were in the ropes to, there. I was actually to... worried. <laughs> What that drill was going? I was worried. It was. I was really worried about how this was going to end. I'll be honest. <laughs> we did it, Craig. We uh, we did it. Um, do you have, do you have, any, do you have anything to plug? I know you're uh, you're going on vacation soon, but as you mentioned, you guys are banging out some high quality and quantity work at the athletics. So we are. Yeah, I would just encourage hockey fans to, if you're not checking out what the athletic is doing right now, download the app. Um, if it's not in your city still download the app and, and subscribe because we're the money that's being invested in this, both through like venture capitalists and through our subscribers is being immediately reinvested in, in writers and talent and giving them a, a platform and an opportunity to tell better stories. And, you know, we're, we're able to do under the traditional media restraints and on a platform that's clean and ad free and no pop up, pop up, all that stuff. So, and I can also tell you, like, we've got a couple more announcements that are going to come in August that are unbelievable. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're, it's, it's, there's more to come, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, you guys are really taking over the hockey world, and it's, uh, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing who those names are. And uh, we will we'll definitely get you back on the show sometime down the road. So enjoy the rest of your summer. Thanks for, uh, for sitting through all that drilling, and we'll, we'll chat soon. All right, thanks to meet you. All right. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.